right, good afternoon. We, we're going to get started. Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry and give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You've tested my heart. You've visited me in the night. You've tried me and have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men by the word of your lips, I've kept away with the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I've called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They've closed up their fat hearts. With their mouth, they speak proudly. They've now surrounded us in our steps. They've set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, and deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you will fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will seek your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Uh, in it, in this podcast, we're moving into a place of, and, and you really need to go in and listen to the Mandela uh, podcast that's uh, a presupposition to this one. Because after the Mandela event, uh, which was just so radically life-changing uh, for me personally, and I'm sure hopefully it's been for you, uh, when when the Lord said, you know, I'm doing something globally and I'm going to deal with this master-slave dichotomy. I'm not going to have it in the in in my leadership. And uh, I'm transitioning the leadership of the uh, earth. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to have leaders that are promoting kingship. Yes, but I can, if you want to be king or you think you are, uh, apart from me, well, that's fine. It really bothered me, but don't you mess with my Shulamite. Don't you mess with my bride. And He's really serious about this, and I mean, it shook me down personally, and uh, and and with the graciousness and merciful of a loving father. But when it comes to leadership, and you really you got to know this, uh, God may not reject you as a a person in the sense that He saved you, but He will reject leadership, i.e., King Saul, and how He is about to deal with David, uh, how he, he about dealt with Moses when it says He sought to kill him because He hadn't circumcised His son. Uh, I believe it was Gershon and his wife did it for him. And so the Lord is, you know, just understand this about him that even with Joshua, the the high priest and Zechariah three, he, he will release righteousness over you, but he will set an admonition in your life. And so it's going to require you to have an attentiveness to him. Uh, and, and he's so good. Again, I just want to say that because he'll do it for you. And he'll show you exactly what to do. He just doesn't want you to be discharging leadership out of your own strength and out of your own uh, capacity. He wants to do that. And so um, with that in mind, when when I jumped into this next event, that encounter I'm going to have with the Lord, I'm in prayer again in the same place from the Mandela event 
I'm, I'm coming off the back end of that. And the Holy Spirit says to me, he, he says, I want you to look into uh, Solomon and Robert Morris. And of course, instantly, you know, for me, I'm thinking that he means King Solomon and uh, Robert Morris that's down in Texas. That's a phenomenal pastor down there. And it's just uh, a marvelous work and really uh, have enjoyed his leadership and ministry. And, but I, I got this kind of prompting, I'm, you know, because Robert Morris and King Solomon are unpacking some tremendous wisdom tools. And I think, you know, the Lord's wanting me to engage with wisdom. And, and while I say this, I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to engage with wisdom. Um, but however, I go in Google and I type in uh, Robert Morris and Solomon and the craziest thing comes up. Uh, a picture comes up, an image, and, and you can do this too. I, you know, feel free to go online and look at this yourself. And I type it in, and up pops uh, George Washington. And I'm thinking, now what has George Washington got to do with Solomon and Robert Morris? And there's a statue of uh, George Washington in Chicago, uh, hopefully presently, even right now, and he's shaking the hands of of two men, one by the name of Haim Solomon and the other one by the name of Robert Morris. And, uh, you know, so I had to start digging and do some research. And I come to find out that these guys were the financiers of the American Revolution. And and I'm just kind of sitting there before the Lord again. I'm saying, Lord, what are you trying to say? You know, I'm, I'm your servant and I'm here to listen to you. And he said, well, I'm going to bring a revolution that's going to be it's going to have to dig down deeper than what Washington, George Washington, the founding fathers got into. I'm wanting this thing to go Abrahamic. That's kind of the way he put it. I'm seeking a, a foundation that's based in me. And even the foundation of your nation uh, is rocky uh, because uh, it's going to have to go deeper into me. And, and you know, our nation being just this phenomenal international presence and we a phenomenal national presence, uh, it just seemed like, wow. Well, in in the context of this revolution that's you know we're in the midst of and we're coming into even now, I'm thinking about you know why do you have this statue right here in Chicago? I don't take anything by fate or chance. I believe that everything uh, there's a reason behind it. And here recently, I I got to get into Chicago and take a little a view at some of its early days. And now. I just want to make this caveat before I launch into this. And I'm not saying all of Chicago because there'll be those of you that will listen to this. And uh, I'm not like trying to highlight negative things over Chicago or positive things. I'm simply telling a a part of a story that's not the whole story of Chicago and what it looks like redemptively. Uh, I just want to share with some things that, that come out of that area. I've watched the series uh, that kind of chronicled the life of Al Capone. And Al uh, Capone had started out as, you know, in New York and running money for a guy um, so that he could make more money because his dad had eight children, him being one of them. And when he was in his teenage years, they couldn't afford to provide for their family. His dad couldn't keep food on the table very well. And so Al was seeking out a way to provide and help his dad. And so he found out that he could run money for these bootleggers and make more money doing that, uh, which ended up being the mob, um, and getting involved with that so he could bring something home for his family. And uh, ends up tending a bar in New York and working for this guy, and then 
it goes on and he wants to make more money and and so he gets into making more money but the way he's going to have to make this his money is to go get this fifteen hundred dollars from uh for the guy he worked for and and he and the guy that he worked for told him don't come back unless you bring me my fifteen hundred so al goes to find this man and this man you know threatens al and basically tells him i'm not gonna give the 1500 and al shoots him and, and kills him and he commits his first murder well upon al capone finding that out uh that he doesn't like to murder people he goes to his wife he breaks down and he tells her we're moving to um i believe it was baltimore maryland and he goes there and he becomes an accountant for a construction firm well it's, it's kind of the same story Al still can't being an accountant make ends meet, and so a friend of his ends up recruiting him into the mob into Chicago. And I just want to today what what I'm wanting to launch out into, and you're going to see this unpacking scripture, but it has to do with this idea of the false apostolic, the shepherding movement, and corrupt ideologies that are related to economics, religious, and political moorings that a lot of this was founded and rooted in our nation. And I think Al Capone became to epitomize some of the ideas that were going on inside of a lot of people's hearts. Here it is. I mean, it's simple. Hey, I care about my wife and my, my son, Sonny. He had, a, I believe his son was Sonny Capone. I care about them and I want to provide for them and I want to take care of take care of them. And here's a quicker way for me to do it. That's bottom line what he's thinking. And so he gets into what they call racketeering. And what they do is they threaten businessmen and uh, and you're going to give us a percentage of the cuts of your profit so that we don't kill you or make your life hard or hurt your family. And um, so they take a percent off of that and they start running uh, liquor, brothels and and gambling and, you know, running these rackets. Eventually it'll be in Hollywood and Las Vegas and they're running rackets all over the place to get uh, a percentage of that based in, hey, I want to provide and take care of my family. Now, some of you, you know, many of us, we've not went that far, uh, so many people. But I just want to, the reason why I start out in Psalm 17, because I want to just show you what God calls wicked. And I want to set a definition here just to get started with, because this is really helped me a lot. But he, David's saying, hey, deliver me my life from these wicked with the sword. And then he says, from the hand of men, O Lord, from men of the world, whose portion is in this life. Now, David, I believe under the authority of the Holy Spirit, is calling wickedness those who place their portion in this life, whom he even says here that you, the Lord, will put treasure into their bellies. So uh, people that seek a treasure in this life um, and are storing up treasure in this life, God calls that wickedness through David's word and who makes their natural desire to eat and to take care of their belongings uh, wicked. And then he says they are satisfied with children. You know, I mean, hey, in the age of abortion today, you know, and peop- and a lot of men that won't take care of their families, we're like, hey, we call that wickedness. And, I, and I'm certainly the Lord would call that wicked, you know, but I just want to be real clear about this. The Lord says that anybody that's just placing their portion in this life to fill their belly like Esau did, uh, to give up a birthright and to even even have offspring and even leave your, an inheritance for your children. If you're doing that, not in a relationship with the Lord, the Lord terms that wickedness. 
And he said, and here's, you might say, oh my goodness, is, you're scaring me, Carol. I mean, this is scaring me. I, what do I do? And he says, David says, ask for me. He says, I'll, I'll see your face in righteousness. I'm, and I'll be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. What's he saying? I need my image restored and my likeness restored. I need my image restored to by seeking your face because my imagination is probably either it's went left base corrupt or right base I don't have one. Or and I I'll be satisfied when I wake. That true awakening comes awakening in our soul comes from coming into the likeness of the Father with his character and his righteousness. So the Lord will give you righteousness, right-based. He'll give it to you, and he'll give you discovery of who you are in him on the left. But you must seek his face. And so for all the guys that are saying, hey, man, I'll outwork you and outdo you and everything, don't think the Lord is, like, happy about that. Because if you're doing that in a context of not seeking his face, he calls it wickedness. Enough said. God calls that corrupt. And that's all Al Capone's doing. He's just going to do it from uh, vices. You know, he's going to do it from vices, and other people are going to do it from legitimate businesses. And uh, but both of them are doing the same thing in the eyes, the eyes of God. And so they've set up a false economic, false religious, in the sense of this loyalty and heart loyalty. I mean, the mob, the mafia was extremely loyal. And if you broke loyalty, you died or you got hurt really bad. And it's a false political system. Um, and so now the Lord's dealing with this in the church and church leadership and all of that as well. So whether you're in ministry or you're in business, you know, just know that the Father's after this. Well, so with that said, um, I, I want to pick up with a story that that happens after after this year and or within this same within the same time frame. I get a my little brother goes over to a church here that's near here. The name of it's a New Covenant Church, and the pastor is Nick Honorkamp. And my brother kind of foreruns and and finds that you know Nick and I and need to get together. And so uh, he calls a meeting, and we go downtown Asheville to a place called Farmburger. And uh, Stephen Scroggs Jr. and myself go in there with him, and uh, we got in there, and Nick said, "Hey, excuse me, I need to go to the men's and." And I, yeah, I looked at Stephen. I said, you know, he's a he's a different flavor than us, but he's kind of like us. And Stephen just smiled real big, and he said, yeah, you feel that? And I said, yeah, you notice his shoes are a little different in the way he carries himself. And he's got some big hands, too, you know. And, and uh, Nick's a former Marine, and so he's just a big guy, and, and uh, he's awesome, too. I love him. And, uh, and so we sit down to have lunch, and I know this about Nick. He's a one, two, three guy, but he's really serious about following the Lord, and he loves Jesus. And he's, and uh, and it, he says to me, like first thing, he says, uh, "What tribe are you from?" And I'm sort of like taken back because I think we're going to get into, uh, you know, leadership dynamics and how to operate the functions of the background of a church and all this stuff. And and Nick just, you know, he goes right to the heart of the point, and he says, "What tribe are you from?" And I said, "Well." I recently come into a lot of encounters with Jesus related tribe of Judah. And I just said, Judah. And, you know, I'm thinking everybody's in the tribe of Judah, you know, and, and Nick looks at me and again, he's got that big hand, you know, he's looks at me. He says, uh, well, I'm his car. And I said, Oh, and he said, I'm a strong bone donkey in the middle, laying down in the middle of the sheepfold. And, uh, and I'm bowing my, 
shoulder to bear uh, burdens that I'm a servant. And I and I think Stephen and I, we're just like, oh man, who is this guy? And, and wow, we just met a guy who identifies with a tribe of Iskar and we're identifying with Judah. And he says, you know, you guys, y'all, y'all fly in the air and you deal with the air, but I'm, I'm a ground guy. He said, I administrate on the ground for the kingdom of the Lord. And really my eyes started to open up that God's kingdom has these various uh, operations and gifts, even within the leadership, the, the main leaders of, of ministries. And, you know, I started to really think a lot about this. And Nick and I and uh, Stephen, we just started unpacking. And also at this time, I've been unpacking with uh, with another friend of mine and and Stephen Birch, who identifies with the tribe of Benjamin. And so this was really neat uh, to, to meet Issachar and uh, an Issachar representative and to see his gift of administration. And I mean, that man can handle so many irons in the fire and uh, I'd be exhausted with what he's able to do in the kingdom, but just he calls himself the chief repenter. And I can't say enough good about him. I, like I said, I just love him and I appreciate his work in the ministry. Well, we leave from that meeting and we start to really just kind of, okay, let's unpack this. And so a friend of mine, Stephen, and I start just looking into Genesis 49. Now, Genesis 49 is when Jacob starts to, or he gives this prophecy over his sons. And I, I'm not going to go through all of it right now, but I want to just talk about Judah and Issachar in the context of a revolution and, uh, and what I believe the Lord is, is after within this particular podcast. He said in Genesis 49, verse 8, it says, Judah, you are uh, whom thy brothers, brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's children will bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp, and from the prey, my son, you're gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from beneath his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He'll bind his foal unto a vine and his donkey's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. And then down in verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good in the land that it was pleasant. And he bowed his shoulder to bear and he became a servant unto tribute. Now, there is so much here. And hopefully I can give you teaching notes on this, you know, within the detail section of this podcast. Uh, but today that is not my uh, duty to do this. One thing I wanted to connect with you, it was the Lord who told his disciples before, before Pentecost, before his passion, he says, go and get me a donkey. And, and he says, and if they have any questions of this, say the master hath need of thee. You know, remember in his, his procession, uh, that we celebrate pre-passion that he comes in and he's on a donkey and, and he's got this little foal that's beside him, uh, the donkey's colt. And what I started to understand was, is in the context of the Lord, is that Judah was meant to ride on Issachar. And, and what you had was the donkey, because Issachar is symbolic of the donkey and, and the lion is, is symbolic of, of Judah. And that Judah and Issachar were meant to work in tandem with one another to bring in uh, the glory of the house of the Lord. 
they're going to work in the eastern camp. And, and when you study the tribes, you're going to see three of them together. And that's Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And Zebulun means the dwelling place of God. So without Judah and Issachar, Judah riding on Issachar, there could be no dwelling place or a place of rest for the Lord. And so they were arraigned by the Lord under the banner of the lion to establish government, the government of God in the air and on the ground, and to bring the dwelling place of God where God would have a place of rest. And so, you know, starting to understand this and realize this, and it, and it says there that Judah would bind his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt or his donkey's colt unto the choice vine. And what we started to realize was there's a vine, okay, of the spirit that when Judah operates in worship and goes up into the heavens and grabs a hold of and puts down the enemy, it releases worship. And that out of this worship, it feeds the donkey so that the donkey can operate on the ground and bring forth God's life in, in the ground. So these concepts are starting to really form. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to take time with this and consider and ask the Lord to give you deeper revelation of it. But what I come to find out is that there's all of these enemies between, let's just say, uh, the Lord and the royalty that he means to invest in us and what happens on the ground between the air and the ground. There's these conflicts that have happened between heaven coming to earth. It's another way to say it. And so in a in an encounter, uh, and you've heard some of this uh, about being caught up into the heavens, and I did the A12 to Senior Crown, and if you've been able to listen to that. And so in another encounter, we're caught up into the second heaven, and there's this pressure against what we're doing. And I, we're praying and worshiping and we're just seeking the Lord. And, um, and I hear the Holy Spirit just say to me, he says, uh, the 10,000 foxes that spoil the vine between Judah and Issachar have been defeated. And he says, you know, to me, go to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 7. And I read it. I mean, he literally just says this to me while I'm caught up in prayer and worship. He says, he was the one who defeated 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and captured Selah in battle, calling it Joktel. The name is, it has to this day. And I said, Lord, he's like, yeah, he said there's 10,000 enemies between the lion and the donkey. There's 10,000 enemies between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. There's 10,000 enemies uh, between the individual and the collective. If you want to use this kind of language, there's 10,000 enemies between the red and the blue. And I think many of you understand what I'm saying. There's, there are so many enemies, and, and the Lord calls them the enemies of the cross, of the Lord. They're enemies and they, they're, they, you know how the story is that the foxes little by little, they destroy the vine. And there are 10,000 enemies between Judah sitting with Issachar to bring forth Zebulun, which would be the government of God. Well, the word says the 10,000 foxes that spoil the vine have been defeated. And I, I was like, Oh, well, I'm excited about this. Uh, and so that day, and the Lord always does this, and I've mentioned this before, faith 
It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the objective proof of an unseen reality. Objective meaning that it's not just your subjective experience. The world will confirm what he has revealed to you. And so uh, through another way so that you'll know from him that it, that it's him. And so I was headed home and I, I called Stephen Birch. I said, look, man, I was like, the Lord said this today. The, fo- the 10,000 foxes that spoil the vine to bring in the government of God have been defeated. And uh, of course, and I'm, I'm driving down the road and I, I kid you not, as soon as I said that to Birch, uh, a van on my left, I'm driving in the right lane, pulls down and pulls right in front of me. And on the tag of the van, it says, Tally Ho. And, you know, for you, I don't know if you're like, oh, man, I know what that means. Well, I didn't know what it means. And I, I said, Birch, look it up on Google. I, you know, I'm not sure what Tally Ho means. And uh, so he got out. He got it out. Uh, on Google, he said, Carol, you're not going to believe this. He said, um, it's tally-ho is originated in the second half of the 13th century. And it's a, it's a cry that goes out that excites the hounds uh, when hunting foxes. And man, I was like, no way. It's basically saying that the fox has been found. And I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, Oh Jesus! I know that this is real. This is this is reality that you're saying that you're going to bring a revolution. You're going to bring one that's Abrahamic. You're going to bring one that is going to unite the legitimacy that's in the red and the blue, and you're going to make something purple. You're going to make a royal family. You're going to bring royalty. We're not com- conflicted anymore with the the collective of Issachar and the individuality that goes on with with uh, Judah, you're going to bring them together. You're going to bring a way that, that you meant when you called Abram and you said, I, I will bless you to be a blessing. You're going to restore godly government. And so I got home that evening and I'm uh, thinking about this and I find this fable by Aesop, and it's called The Donkey, the Fox, and the Lion. Now, I, you know, up to this point, I'd never even read this fable, and I don't remember being read when I was a child. But listen to this fable, and I thought this was just so interesting. It says, The donkey and the fox, having entered into partnership together for their mutual protection, went out into the forest to hunt. They had not proceeded far, When they met a lion, the fox, seeing imminent danger, approached the lion and promised to contrive for him the capture of the donkey if the lion would pledge his word not to harm the fox news. I mean, the fox, I'm sorry. (laughs) Then, upon assuring the donkey that he would not be injured, the fox led him to a deep pit and arranged that he should fall into it. The lion, seeing that the donkey was secured, immediately clutched the fox and attacked the donkey at his leisure. And I looked at this before, and and I I just want to say, you know, and I, I believe that this is inspired by our enemy. He's even created within children's minds this understanding that the lion, really, this hungry lion, because I read deeper into this, and the donkey is first brought in by 
the fox who is afraid of the lion. And the lion is so old that when he goes to jump at the fox, he can't reach him in time. Well, that scares the little donkey, and he goes away with the fox. He says, I'm never going back to that lion again. He tried to eat me. And the fox said, oh, he goes back to the lion and he tells him, and the lion tells him to trick the donkey again. The donkey goes for it again, goes back to the lion, and the lion eats him this time. And even in children's minds, it's been placed this idea that that the lion and the donkey are never going to be able to get along. And that the fox is conniving, it, conniving his way between the two for his own benefit. And because of his own benefit, because of his own benefit, he's he's uh, manipulating the two sides against each other. And so that you have the lion and the donkey, basically, the donkey afraid and the lion perpetrating or coming against, against the donkey. I suppose that maybe in this podcast you're starting to get an understanding of probably what's going on in our political system. And without Jesus, there's no way to solve this problem. These 10,000 foxes, they're continuing nipping in us. And we've got to discern and we've got to ask the Lord to come in and intervene with us and start with us. And and so I I just, uh, my son, he's calling for me and and we've got to go. But let me just pray and we'll finish this podcast. Jesus, thank you for uh, that you're bringing a revolution. Uh, One in which there's not any more foxes that are going to come against the vine. That there's going to be nurture between Issachar and Judah. That there's going to be a a good relationship. That you're you're not going to separate us as individuals away from the collective good, but that we'll be able to be a blessing and to be blessed. And Lord, I just pray in this podcast today that we're that we won't enter into blue and red faction. But Lord, take us with a glad heart above it to know that we're royal sons and daughters and that we don't want to get engaged in that those 10,000 arguments that are being created to turn against one another. Give us offensive tactics to be a blessing, Lord, to each other. Give us the legitimacy, Lord, and remove the illegitimacy of both the blue and the red. In your name we pray. Oh, I judge you.